1: must be frustrating for you, someone who likes to get things done with their hands. Here's the thing, four guys murdered my wife. A- if I could find these men, I'd do it. What if I told you I could offer you something that would enable you to walk again? I call it STEM, a computer chip that has the potential to change everything. It's a new, better brain. I am Stem, the system operating your body for you. Can anybody else hear you? No, only you. May I point something out? In the drone surveillance footage. Sir Brandner, Marine Corps, address 414 Citrus, Newground. You'll need a plan. I got this. This doesn't seem like a well thought out plan. I need your permission to operate independently Permission granted Thank you
0: Stay down man Stay on. He's got a knife I
1: see that They may have a knife too You now have full control again Grey If you are involved in this somehow, then you need to let me know. Well, I was in the area, Detective. There's a gun implanted inside his home. Stanley, what do you think I should do? Really Man, you are persistent. I cannot allow us to be killed. We are going to finish the job we started. You didn't know that I'm a ninja. <clears throat> While I am state-of-the-art, I am not a ninja.
0: Hi everybody and welcome to GeekFest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone, and today we are playing a little bit of catch-up with some of the films we've seen lately. It's been a Interesting summer so far. It's not over yet. I know that but We've had a chance. I guess you could say from the beginning of the spring till now uh, to go see some films and Boy is this has this been a busy film season. I mean, we've done some, uh, you know, individual shows on certain films You know the the big, you know monster crazy big ones like Infinity War and solo obviously but in between those we've seen a couple of other films and you know we want to go over some of them and see whether they're you know worthy of uh, you having to make a quick run to the movie theater or just wait for DVD because nowadays you know you're gonna you're gonna see these films in like 20 minutes I think uh, usually by the time you come out of the theater uh, you know they're already available I mean can you imagine that if we get to that point where you come out of the theater and they'll be selling you a copy of the did you enjoy this film here take it home with you but Let me give you a list of some of what we're going to be talking about. Upgrade. Weird, weird sci-fi small uh, film with uh, fake Tom Hardy. You'll you'll know what that means later. Uh, Incredibles 2, another chapter in the Pixar saga uh, of sequels. Sicario, Day of the Soldado. Another sequel. Wow, that's two sequels there. Actually, we got a lot of sequels here. As a matter of fact, the rest of them are all sequels. That is more like, uh, Sicario is more like a a serious one in the uh, the bunch. The the less genre one of all of them. Deadpool 2. Here we go. Sequel. Bing. You know, check that off on your list. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Sequel. And Ant-Man and the Wasp. Gee, I see a pattern developing here. Another sequel. As usual with all these films, I'm going to be spoiling the hell out of them, because sometimes you have to really get deep, deep, deep to be able to analyze them thoroughly. The summer season's not over yet. We got a couple more. Maybe I'll have to wrap those up in in another future episode. But at least with this, we have something to chew on in terms of, you know, where are we now with, you know, the state of all these sequels, and you know, do these live up to the expectations that we have? If we are fans, obviously it helps. If you're a fan of whatever came before that, and obviously I'm not going to go see too many sequels. I th- I could think of of films that I dislike the originals. So you know, for these kind of films, you're you're you know you're starting with a good foundation, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but at least one of them is brand new and and kind of different. So let's get started with
1: upgrade. What did I teach you? You are the Duke of New York. You're a number one. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Can you dig it? Open the pod bay doors, HAL. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That's not of Satan. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> the Force will be with you, always.
0: All right, the first film we're going to look at today is Upgrade. This is a sci-fi film starring Logan Marshall Green. If you feel like you've heard that name before from me, you have. The previous film we reviewed with him was The Invitation, and he's probably better known from Prometheus, and he is, you know, to me he's he's fake Tom Hardy. He is an actor that kind of looks like Tom Hardy, and I always say I can't wait to see those two in the same movie together. They could play brothers. Well, in this particular film, what we have is, it's the future, and he is a mechanic, kind of like an antique car restorer, and his wife works in modern technology and that sort of thing. And in this particular situation, what we have is that he is working, his current client is this... High tech executive, kind of like a Steve Jobs, Bill Gates kind of guy who's very introverted and a young guy. And at one point, he, you know, he finally delivers, you know, the car to this guy. And I think it's on his way home that, you know, with his wife, car breaks down and they have to stop somewhere and they are approached by a couple of, you know, weird looking guys that end up killing her, his wife, and injuring him severely. As a result of that, he goes, you know, therapy and he finds out he can't walk anymore. And he's super, super depressed and disabled and living alone. His mother is trying to take care of him. And he is contacted by the guy, his previous client, to let him know that one of the things he was working on is the special computer chip that could possibly make his legs work again so he can kind of get back to his normal life, obviously, without his wife. So after a while, he kind of reconsiders it and he has it done. He has this procedure done and he starts to develop certain abilities in terms of not only can he start walking, you know, little by little, but he starts to be able to Kind of interact with that computer chip, where that computer chip becomes basically a voice in his head. And for the movie viewer, the voice in his head is basically another voice we hear that he has conversations with. And the chip not only allows him to walk and do certain things, but it increases his regular abilities. The film's name is Upgrade, meaning it upgrades his normal condition, if you will, to the point where... He can perform some really, really fantastic feats, (laughs) if you will, because what's happening now is that he's looking into, he wants to find who killed his wife because there's just something wasn't right about it. And he starts to investigate, you know, the, the, the police contact him and he contacts the police and he's able to see the footage of the crime from like a drone that was like flying nearby. And he notices that... It just doesn't look right. Certain things don't look right. It almost looks as if they gone. They went after her first. So through the movie, he's investigating and investigating and getting into fights with these different criminals to be able to find the next criminal and that next criminal. And at the same time, we kind of see that there is a, a lead criminal, if you will, or at least the guy that uh, was in charge of the group, including the guy who was physically there that he's trying to suspect that somebody's coming after him because he's trying, they're, they're finding his gang members kind of showing up dead in places because Green's character is dispatching them one, you know, one by one. It's kind of like a revenge film, you know, if you can call it that. It's also a little bit like Robocop, you know, him getting used to all his, uh, powers and that sort of thing, but while still in control of his own body, but he's having these conversations with himself or this computer chip. And we get, you know, we finally get to a point in the film where, you know, we are at the end of his search and he finds the last guy and he's able to kill the last guy and then finds out that the last guy was working for the doctor that implanted the chip in the first place. So we do have that the man behind the man behind the man kind of moment. But what we also find out towards the end is that and not only was it that this, this doctor purposely implanted the chip on him and purposely had this thing happen, but it wasn't so much him, but the chip itself. The hook of the movie is that the chip is basically an artificial intelligence, more or less, that is now wanting to do its own thing and was forcing the doctor, you know, to come up with this plan so that it could be able to be implanted into somebody. In other words, it was the chip's plan all along. And that's kind of how the movie ends, where he kills everybody. He even kills the cop that was trying to solve this case. And he kind of is now out there. You know, with the chip controlling him, more or less. So it's an interesting film. It's it's a small film. It's an independent little film. I would say somewhat successful. Not a blockbuster, obviously. But, you know, this is the type of thing where you would see a sequel, I'm pretty sure. This type of movie will find its way to Netflix super fast, I imagine, because it's a low-budget film. And it's very economical, if you will, with, you know, the fact that this is taking place in the future. But not everything looks futuristic. Certain things look like a certain cars, certain technology, his home, you know, the the technology in his home. But, you know, you... You kind of forgive a lot of the lack of super futuristic settings uh, because it's very subtle. And you figure that's kind of how it is in reality. You know, you don't end up with, you know, Buck Rogers' world overnight. You have to, you know, it's not the Jetsons. Uh, It's little little steps. And and this kind of is good at that. The action is fantastic. The kind of acting that he has to do, it's unusual because he needs to portray him not being in charge of his body... But he has to make the right moves that you're trying to make. It's kind of like he knows all these weird... And it's not really even like martial arts. It's it's a very kind of robotic, almost like marionette type of moves that he makes when he's fighting. And he really has like no control of his body. But he needs to... React through his voice and his eyes to what is happening around them. So there, there's a lot more than what you see here. And in terms of how I think this particular actor dealt with this role and prepared for this role. And I'm sure there must have been some kind of process that he had to go through, maybe with a trainer or something on how to portray those kind of moves. It's not, you know, this isn't like the matrix in terms of all of a sudden, boom, an individual can have all these martial arts skills. No, this is different. (laughs) haven't seen it before, and not just because of the fact that the theme of the movie is similar to RoboCop in terms of, you know, uh, an almost dead guy is infused with technology and he comes back as a different thing, type of, you know, that kind of thing. No, I think it's how an actor has to physically change, you know, to do certain scenes that is really very, you know, top notch. And again, this guy... As I mentioned before, Logan Marshall Green, he is kind of becoming, as far as I'm concerned, kind of like a cult actor. You know, I know we've had, and I've talked about this before, you know, I had my cult actors that I would follow. And, you know, unfortunately, my my top cult actor passed away, Bill Paxton. But, you know, we still have, you know, Bruce Campbell and Lance Erickson still around. And Michael Bean is still around. And some of those guys are still floating around, not doing too much work. But here's a guy who seems to be kind of you know, he's on this up-and-coming mode. He hasn't really hit it big. He's been in some pretty big films, as far as uh, Prometheus goes, but he keeps kind of doing really good small work, you know, which is kind of neat, and, you know, I can't wait for this next and I, I, again, I'll i say it a million times I'm not going to be happy until it happens they need to put him in a movie with Tom Hardy, because those two it's just, I, I, I bet you they would be great together <laughs> They should play brothers or twins or something. Even though Tom Hardy did a movie a while back where he played a twin and he played himself as the twin. You know, this could have been a better idea maybe. Next film I want to talk about is The Incredibles 2. This was a very pleasant film. Entertaining and never bored me for one minute. The opening short was really, really good. Really weird and creepy. It was called Bao... And you might find some weird articles on the internet about it. And it was kind of strange at one moment because all of a sudden something happens and you're like, what the hell is going on here? You're like, am I watching the right film? Is this the right thing I'm supposed to be seeing? (laughs) And then it kind of explains itself and it kind of makes sense and it's sweet and, you know, touching, you know, like like most of these little shorts. But uh, yeah, it it was kind of weird at at, at one moment where you're like, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you know i won't spoil it like i spoil everything else uh for you guys but the Incredibles. let's go back to the story it's a continuation of the previous story this time around because the, the superheroes are all kind of on lockdown they're not allowed to go around being superheroes anymore because they cause too much damage you know everything that they do <laughs> they destroy too many things so in this case Again, a very wealthy individual who wants to continue crime fighting wants to have Mrs. Incredible you know come out and work on some crime fighting while Mr. Incredible stays home so you get that dual type of thing where Mr. Incredible is having really difficult time taking care of the kids because that's something that, Uh, Mrs. Incredible would do, but you know, you you go through this whole process and again, you know what, it's really not that, as far as I'm concerned, it's not that important, you know, what the plot is in terms of, you know, it's it's, it's Pixar, it's going to be simple it's a sequel, so you kind of not going to see anything that in- incredibly, incredibly new and fresh. Uh, it's kind of more the same. Some of the same characters. Frozone comes back and it, you know, he does his thing and it's cute and it's fun. And don't get me wrong. I had fun in the movie. I was not bored. It was just fun to watch. But I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm, I think I'm kind of outgrowing Pixar films. We used to see them all the time. We used to look forward to them like it was the next big thing. And now it's kind of like, uh, yeah, it's another Pixar. Oh, okay. Well, what is it? It's Frozen or it's this or it's that. And you're like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> it, it really doesn't excite me that much anymore. Yes, there was a period where I would watch them no matter what and then there was a period I would watch them for the kids because it was, it was a great age kind of movie to bring kids to. You know, it's in their age range. But even the kids now have kind of moved on to bigger and better things. Granted, Sometimes they want to see these Pixar films. Sometimes they don't really care much. This one was one that they both wanted to see. But the best I could tell you is, it's not a bad film. Can you wait for it for DVD? Sure. Most of these films you can probably wait for DVD. There really hasn't been anything so far this summer that completely blew me out of the water. Some I will see on the... Th- I mean, most of these I'm seeing in the theater. I'm, you know, I'm guilty of, of, of not following my own advice. But... I don't want to say it's easily forgettable, but in the summer, I don't know if it's because it's the summer or because it's just the the volume of movies, there's just so many movies coming in and out here that you're like, "Yes, go to the next one. Yes, and go to the next one. Yes, and go to the next." You know, it's it's a constant barrage of films coming out, and this one, you know, if you're looking for something new, innovative, it's really not there. It's good, but it's not new, and it's not innovative. It's, it's more of the Incredibles. And, and you know, that, that's something that's not bad, but it just doesn't blow you away. So, that's my most uh, schizophrenic review of a film I could come up with. <laughs> now, if you want something a little more serious, I'm going to suggest Sicario Day of the Soldado, which is the sequel to Sicario. This is completely a serious, <laughs> this is not a kid's film whatsoever. It's a crime drama, just like the first film. Now, in the first film, uh, again, if you remember the story, and it also, you know, with the first one you had not only Benicio Del Toro as the the assassin, you had James Brolin as the, uh, the government CIA agent, and you had Emily Blunt as the... Police official that is brought in, and again, if you remember the original one, the hook on the original one was that the only reason she's brought in is so that the CIA can do stuff within the you know the borders of our own country, and can do it legally. She's there as an observer, even though she is led to believe that she's there to help them solve these particular crimes. But the the hook of the movie, uh, you know, the fact when you get to the, the ending, is that you find out that the only reason they brought her in was just for as a legal technicality, that they don't want her interfering. They don't want her solving any crimes. They don't want her arresting anyone. They just wanted her to sit there and be quiet and just show up so they can legally have her there. And that what's happening with the hired killer, the, Del Toro's character, who is supposed to be, I guess, representing a Colombian interest, or at least he worked for Colombian cartel, is that He's just there to make sure that the Mexican cartel gets knocked out. This way they can allow the Colombian cartel to kind of take over that particular territory, if you will, which kind of throws everything into a tizzy in terms of well, what the hell is the point of all this war that they're fighting if they're just substituting one with another? Well, that also, you know, brings you the bigger scope of, you know, the political aspect of this whole thing, which was very good in the original one. That, you know, you have these alleged good intentions, but the outcome and, and the means by what you're doing really are not uh, accomplishing much. You're just changing players. This second film deals with a series of incidents that take place early in the film. One incident has to do with uh, some immigrants who are crossing the border, and one of them runs off to the side, and all of a sudden, he doesn't exactly look a too much like the rest of the immigrants. And he starts to speak in a foreign language. And he detonates something, some kind of vest he's wearing or a bomb or something. And he blows himself up along with some other police that are trying to arrest him. Then you have another scene where a couple of guys who might be Middle Eastern walk into a something that looks like a Target, let's say, ironically. And they blow themselves up inside a big you know shopping store with people and it's a terrific, horrific setup in terms of the the, the people that are, are blown away with them in there. So, they're putting you in a place in the beginning of this film where, you know, you just cannot help to notice the politics of what they're presenting to you. And this is something that is very weird or was a very weird experience. Because when I watched this, I watched this film with my dad and my son. Because, you know, my dad likes political, you know, crime movies and that sort of thing. And my son kind of likes them a little bit. And he saw the first one, so he, was, you know, he wanted to see the second one. And just a little bit of a backstory in the particular place where we saw the movie. We live in an area here in Florida that is a retirement community. Because of the demographics of the particular area that we live in, you're going to find a very high... I would say uh, 70%, 75% majority of very conservative individuals as far as the people that live within the boundaries of this community. Outside the boundaries of this community, this is a rural area. It's uh, you know We always joke about how this is an, a, an area that was kind of, it looks like it was helicoptered and boom, planted into the middle of a field. It's a bubble. It's a very high-end, wealthy area dropped in the middle of a very rural, somewhat poor area. But politically, you know, we're in the South. You have a, a very conservative concentration of both people that live within the bubble that are very wealthy and people that live outside the bubble that are very poor. However, what unites those two extremes is their conservative beliefs, I always said if Fox News Channel were to form a city or a town, this is their prototype. This is exactly what they want. This is exactly what they would try to sell to the rest of the country. You walk down the streets here, you go to the stores within the community, and all you hear is Fox News. The newspapers are very conservative. Uh, their writers, their stories, even their Cartoons, they're all very conservative. Uh, so you have a definite flavor of what you're dealing with. Now, just the mere fact alone that you're dealing with a retirement community, because of the, the age demographic, you're dealing with people that are traditionally, they're kind of done <laughs> with whatever it is that they were doing, most of them. And they would like to kind of live their lives as undisturbed as possible, whatever lifestyle they're used to, they would like to kind of keep it frozen in that manner. They don't like change. They don't like new things. They don't like different things. Again, that goes hand in hand with whether you're conservative or liberal. Liberals traditionally are more open to new things. Conservatives, they just want to keep it the way it is or bring it back to what it was. That's just the way it is. So, I'm giving you this background because we are in a very political era right now. You could call it toxic in a way. We've, we've done an episode about toxic fandom. but This isn't really fandom. But in a way, po- politics is a sort of fandom to some people. So I get to witness the things that you kind of see on TV, the extreme stories that happen, you know, due to the political nature of things. I get to see that all the time. So we're watching this movie. And in the beginning of the movie, you know, they're they're setting it up. They're giving you, okay, well, these bad things are happening. And they're dispatching Josh Brolin. I keep calling him James Brolin. I keep confusing him with his father, James. Josh Brolin out, you know, and he's, he's the CIA guy who just, uh, you know, I'm there to do my job. And I know what to do my job. Nobody tells me I do my, my job. Am I allowed to do my, you know, that kind of thing. And he's kind of, he really likes his job. He's kind of. Pepe, and he really gets excited about what he does, And he's there to interrogate a guy, which is really, he's there to torture a guy. Uh, and he brings in Benicio del Toro. And basically what's happening here is he's being presented with the opportunity that because of these events, we are now going to treat the drug cartels as if they are terrorist organizations. Because of these two events that happen early in the movie. So that kind of triggers the mission of the film, and that is to kidnap the daughter of a drug cartel and to hide her somewhere so that the cartels think that another cartel took her. And that will hopefully get them to start fighting each other uh, while we kind of quietly stay off to the sides. Now, we also have to remember that the thing that makes, uh, you know, Vinicius LaTorre's character... His backstory is that his family was killed by another cartel, and that's the, the revenge that he gets at the end of the first film. He's able to kill the guy that ordered his family's execution. So in this film, what was weird was that in the, the whole setup of the film is very one-sided in terms of we have to protect ourselves from these people that are coming over. Now, these people are being kind of lumped together in terms of the immigrants that are coming over the border are lumped in the same group as a terrorist that is trying to sneak over the border, or terrorists that not necessarily are sneaking over the border, uh, that are showing up in other places. They're kind of lumping them all together. And as we were watching these scenes of you know the, the interactions with people, we kept we I kept hearing people chuckling around me, different not just one person but different people, and it was kind of like. They're painting this picture in the film in the beginning of, oh, my God, we got to do something about these, let's say, Mexicans, for example, that are coming over. And you get that chuckle happening over here, a little chuckle happening over. These are very, like, serious scenes we're watching and people are chuckling. It's, like, kind of weird. Then later in the movie, as the movie progresses and del Toro's character he's been given the order to kill everybody. The mission is kind of going not exactly where they want it to go and they need to get rid of everybody in that area that, you know, that his team is with, meaning the girl. So they do end up killing a whole bunch of people and the girl is the last one. And he doesn't. He doesn't want to kill her. For some reason, he just doesn't want to kill her. Now, she's not exactly an angel. You know, she knows she's the daughter of a, of, of a drug guy. And we were giving her backstory a little bit about how she kind of takes advantage of that. But for whatever reason, he just cannot do it. She's, she's a girl. She's a young, she's a minor. And that kind of puts him at odds with everybody else. All of a sudden, he has to go off the mission and try to protect her. Because at the same time, you have the uh, the other drug cartels are coming after him. And while all this is happening, we're also being told a secondary story of a kid that lives on the U.S. side of the border who becomes a runner. He's helping, you know, he's, he, you know, for money, he's a coyote. People pay him to bring people over to the other side. But little by little, he's now being asked to bring drugs and then at a certain point he's being asked to kill somebody and the person that he's being asked to kill is Del Toro's character that gets captured. So we see a, a, an execution take place basically pretty much. He, you know, they have him, his face is all covered up and they shoot him in the head and he's out there dead in the in the sand and they they leave him there and then he all of a sudden like a couple hours later he kind of comes back because apparently he was shot and is really Gross. He was shot from one side of his face to the other, like through the cheeks. So the bullet did not hit his head, it hit his his mouth, more or less. So he's able to get out of there and get away. And the girl is also, at the last minute... Saved by Brolin's character. He knows he's in trouble now because he's gonna, he's gonna protect her too. He's gonna deliver her somewhere and he won't kill her like she, he was ordered. And that's what happens near the end of the movie is that you have a kind of a reversal where the government official is saying that, hey, guess what? The, uh, the guys that blew up that department store, they're not Mexicans, they're not immigrants, they're citizens, you know, from New Jersey, (laughs) ironically. So, it kind of flips the movie in terms of, wait a minute. And there, and, and he's like, but what's going on? You know, this is the whole, this is the whole reason why we're doing this. And they're like, it doesn't, they're, and they're basically saying it doesn't really matter. So at that point, you realize that's it. It doesn't really matter. This was just an excuse to do something else. And that is the message of the movie, as far as I'm concerned, is that, that you're presented with some horrific acts and somebody is able to manipulate those acts to motivate you to do something else. You later find out that you've been duped. You've been duped and, you know, what was done was not, you know, the plan. That that was not the end of the plan. So, you're left with Benicio del Toro is on the run. He's out free. We don't know what happens to Brolin because he disobeyed orders. The whole mission is shut down and it's all within the same administration taking place. Obviously, they leave it open for another sequel. And I think they are already working on one. And at the end of this film, del Toro is meeting with the kid that shot him in the face it almost looks like he's going to take him on under his wing as an assassin. Again, very, very heavy, heavy, not a very family-friendly film. But I do remember after watching the movie, I mentioned a thing. I didn't mention anything. My son comes up to me and goes like, did you notice that people were laughing in the beginning of the film? I'm like, yeah, that was kind of... Strange. He's like, that felt so strange to, to have adults, not stupid kids, but grown-ups chuckling and laughing during a very seriously scary... Kind of material. But obviously, when the story gets flipped, where you find out that the beginning is just a diversion, it's just an excuse to do something different, which is the hook of this particular chapter of the story that we're being told, there's no chuckling there. They kind of kept quiet. All those individuals, all of a sudden, they're like, (laughs) so yeah, that was a very unusual reaction. Maybe not as unusual. Again, based on where I live. Nah, I guess not. I mean, you you kind of do... All of a sudden, again, like I mentioned before, in the last couple of years, people that would normally keep quiet about certain things are very, very vocal about things, and they feel that the type of things that they would say behind closed doors, when no one's watching, they can now go and say it publicly for everyone to hear. I like this movie. I don't think it's as good as the first. The first was... Uh, it just felt creepier, and it felt it had a different feel to it. It was the by the director of Blade Runner uh, twenty forty nine, the first one. This one was a different director, but it's a good continuation to that story. And I really can't wait for a third one because I have a, I could swear I heard something about them be bringing Emily Blunt back. So that that would be an interesting one to see how they go in that direction. And Felicia del Torres, he's just amazing in this particular character. In The Last Jedi, his character was such a waste of time and it was just a bad impression of something. This one is dead on. He he, he has to play those serious roles. I would say this is probably one of his best. The Usual Suspects, if you want to throw some humor into his performance, perfect. He's just awesome in The Usual Suspects. But this one is one that I definitely would recommend anyone watching, you know, if you like serious kind of films. Up next, we had a chance to see Deadpool 2. This is one that, you know, we very much enjoyed the first one, and we were anticipating basically more of the same. This is essentially a comedy. I mean, it's it's a different flavor of superhero films. It is not, obviously, you know, part of the Marvel slate. It is a Marvel character, but it's one of these cases where, you know, a different studio is in charge of producing these films, I believe it's Fox because it's also the same studio that has X-Men. And that's how the connection, you know, you got your connection from. He's kind of part of that family, if you will. And you really can't explain much of the film in terms of it's just more of the same. Uh, This time around, it's not an origin story. Obviously, we did that on the first one. This time, you know, there's a mission. His mission is he's trying to protect this kid who seems to be having these powers and they're locking up this kid and he's becoming more dangerous and more powerful. And some bad guys are tapping into this kid and trying to be able to turn him to the bad side, let's say. And the movie centers around him doing that. At the same time, you also have the introduction of Cable, another character that was actually teased you know, at the end of the first film. Uh, you know, so they had this in mind for quite a while, uh, who was... Also, uh, <laughs> ironically played by Josh Brolin, which we talked about a few minutes ago. You know, this guy is just, he's on fire. He's an actor that's on fire recently. Uh, he's on everything. He's Thanos, he's Cable, and now he's uh, also in uh, returning for the uh, Sicario film that we talked a few minutes ago. And Cable seems to be a uh, a time-traveling vigilante, if you will, or soldier something like that that is trying to correct what this kid will potentially be in the future resulting in the death of a lot of people including his family and blah 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 so he's kind of trying to at first kill this kid because he wants to stop him from becoming what he will most likely become but Deadpool is the one who's trying to convince him that he can change the kid but in all reality, this kind of a movie, the the plot really doesn't matter much because it's a comedy. All the stage gags that they have are dead on. It fits so perfectly for this movie. He assembles a team, which is going to be X-Force, which will be, you know, part of another future movie that they're going to come up with. And again, this is all, you know, if you're into comics, you kind of understand where this is going and where it's coming from. But for myself, who I'm not, you know, very familiar with, uh, the history of these characters, you know, it's a good way of giving me something new and makes it interesting. This is also the movie where they kind of realized a couple of years ago that, hey, we can probably go the comedic route. And at the time, I remember when Deadpool came out and it was such a huge hit, there was buzz going around Hollywood, you know, all the studios, especially any studio that had any form of superhero kind of property under their belt, that maybe we should go the comedic routes. And, and, you know, I think that was around the time of Suicide Squad, where they were kind of like, I don't know if they did it for real, or it was coincidence, or maybe I'm just imagining it, but maybe it was just a a rumor that, hey, maybe we can kind of reshoot some of this and add a little more comedy to it, because look what Deadpool did. I I honestly don't think it helped. (laughs) If they did it, I don't think it helped much with Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad was all right. But I'll tell you where it really, really, really did well was with Thor Ragnarok. I never would have expected them to go in the direction they did with Ragnarok and hiring the director that they picked, the guy who did what we do in the shadows, I think it's called, or in the dark, something like it's a vampire, it's a a comedy vampire documentary, which is bizarre, And, and, and it's the last thing I would imagine anybody saying That's the guy I want to direct the next superhero film. It blows me away. I love the film. It's an excellent film. And then when they did Ragnarok, I was like, oh, my God, they actually pulled it off. They took, you know, a a more serious, if you will, not the most serious, but a more serious character from the marble slate and went comedic. And it works. It worked really well. And it kind of seems to be carrying on. He seems to be a crossover Kind of uh, a Guardians of the Galaxy level comedy type of uh, character, you know, not just from the start. Like, you know, they try to keep that. But Deadpool is what kind of started it all, I believe. And that's when everybody was going crazy. They kind of, you know, they, they kind of settled down. These, these things kind of happen when something new pops up. Everybody overreacts and, and, and the business itself overreacts in terms of saying, that's, that's the way to go. That's where the money is. Everybody, you know, redirect all our ships in that direction. And then they kind of, oh, okay, let's course correct and go back to where they were. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen a slew of comedic attempts at superhero films. But with Deadpool 2 you can stay in that you have to stay in that route because it's it works perfectly. Here, like I said, you know, there's there's a whole sequence of him assembling this force and how and what a mess this force is and how only a few of those characters that he assembles are really worth anything because he seems to they're so uh of a mess as far as superheroes go, that they just kind of annihilate themselves before they're even out of the gate. There's a chemistry that Ryan Reynolds has with his cast and the way that he plays this character. And in this particular film, there are so many returns to things that he was kind of grinding on in the first film having to do with his dislike of Hugh Jackman and, and Wolverine. I guess Wolverine is more like it because it's the character. He's he, Everybody is in character, obviously. And how in some of the bonus scenes at the end of the film, they were able to work in so many weird stuff having to do with Hugh Jackman, having to do with X-Men Origins. <laughs> having to do with himself not only in Wolverine Origins but in Green Lantern he 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 takes a huge swipe at himself many many times but in the film they also do this thing where he kind of you have to go through some dramatic growth and in this film a lot of it centers around the fact that his girlfriend is killed and, and he can't seem you know he can't seem to connect with her you know in a, in a in a spiritual level or something like that, where he's trying to talk to her and he's trying to talk to him and whatever. And by the end of the film, you know, he's kind of like, he's giving up with on everything, but he's kind of not. And he is kind of giving up on her because of she's, but they do a fix at the end of the film that is part of the bonus scenes of the film having to do with going back in time because they do have the element of time travel in this film because of cable you know his his little device that he brings with him uh, where at the end of the film they 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 repair this thing and it's just funny how they kind of course correct the entire film, especially the, the sad parts of the film, let's say, uh, where not only can he revive his relationship with his girlfriend because of this time travel element, but he can kind of also fix some of all these X-Force members that died in the process. I'm going to assume that it's it wasn't just a joke. You know, I'm going to assume that come the third film or even the X-Force film that they're apparently planning, that these things are going to hold, that th- these things happen because it's in the film that it wasn't just a gag. But this is definitely one that you can continue with in terms of, you know, the next one. I'm just as excited to be able to see it. It's a comedy, like I said, and and they they really do it well. They, they know how to how to do this. And Ryan Reynolds gets, you know, a lot of credit for it. My son absolutely loved it. He was the one that was, you're really pushing for me to go see the first one. And he was all excited about it. And he only didn't know too much about this character. He only knew a little bit about him. Again, we're not a... An insane comic book family here in terms of, you know, how much background we have with comic books. My son has much more of a better background. I'm the, you know, I go to him now for information on, you know, well, who's this character and what's he about? And he'll be like, oh, hold on, let me see. Oh, okay, he's the blah, 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 blah. Okay, all right, good, 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 good. Because, you know, it's, it's like a foreign language to me. <laughs> you know, trying to figure out who these characters are and how they relate to each other. But this is one that's definitely uh, uh, worth your time. Then I went to see Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I saw it with my dad. And for my dad, it's kind of like, a. and even for me, I guess, it was kind of like a palate cleanser. In other words, I've been hearing that, you know, the the reviews were not the best in the world. And it's just kind of more of the same, you know. And I actually read a post online on Facebook, uh, which was uh, from a writer that was uh, feeling pretty down about the current death of uh, Harlan Ellison prolific sci-fi writer and he says that he wanted just to kind of clear his mind and you know that because he was kind of feeling so down about this and he was going to feel down about it for a while he just wanted to go to the movies and he wanted just to see what would be considered a popcorn movie something that you don't really have to Invest too much thought into it, but you do want to see some large dinosaurs running around and heroes doing heroic things and bad guys doing bad guy things and, and the heroes winning at the end and and watch a spectacle. And yeah, that's basically how I would describe this movie. The franchise itself seems to be, I don't want to say suffering, but mimicking, or, or I guess, the beats of the original franchise. This is something i that I've talked about you know having to do with Star Wars films, especially the modern star wars films the, the newer trilogies that how they purposely tried to follow the beats of the original uh, well here I think you're going through the same paces uh, you know with 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 the original Jurassic Park it was, oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen before it's going to totally blew everyone away. It was an original concept, granted, you know the dinosaur films or a dinosaur film is nothing that's inventive in terms of. You know, I grew up with the Ray Harryhausen films where you had dinosaurs in them sometimes. The Valley of the Gungwee, I think it was, something like that. I, I love that film. That was one of the where the cowboys meet dinosaurs. It was weird. But anyway, everybody kind of went through the, the, that period of, you know, CGI just hit a new milestone with Jurassic Park based on a very, very popular Michael Crichton book. Uh, Spielberg directs, you know, you, it's a perfect combination. And then as the sequels came out... You know, the quality kind of started to go back and forth a little bit. I actually, you know, I know I'm a little weird, but I I, I like the third better than the second. I didn't like the second as much as I thought I would. I understand what they did. They kind of, okay, they bring the dinosaurs home kind of thing. But anyway, with these new films, you know, with the first film, you got to reintroduce the whole mythology again of going to an actual park that's ready to be showcased and the park going, you know, batshit crazy. And that's kind of what happens in the first one. The, the park doesn't fully open, but it's kind of like the park is brand new and ready to go, and they're kind of giving it a, a soft opening, if you will, by bringing in uh, you know s- these kids to come take a look at it. But they were, you know, but you can kind of see the the, the similarities going on there. And here, you know, it kind of takes a little. It's so funny because it kind of takes a little bit of of the third Jurassic Park film and the second Jurassic Park film, because, in the third film. The park, they're going back in there as a rescue mission to rescue somebody. And the park is completely disheveled and everybody's running wild. And in the second film, it involves capturing a a T-Rex and bringing it back to civilization. So in this film, they kind of do a combination of both those things. They're going to the park, not to specifically rescue an individual person, but to kind of rescue some of the dinosaurs because the, the island is about to be destroyed by a volcano. So their mission is allegedly they're going to rescue some some dinosaurs and, and to bring them to like another sanctuary that they can be uh, run free you know the, the usual thing and and there's a new new guy and there's a new old guy James Cromwell now plays the uh, uh, the uh, the like the brother or the or, or the partner of, of of the other guy that used to be the, the guy who ran the whole thing. But the younger representative, the very friendly looking guy who then turns out to be the bad guy of the film, you know you could see it, you could see it coming a mile away. And them being able to introduce some kids into the story, which the way they kind of shoehorn it in here is that there's a little girl who's the granddaughter of you know the guy that runs the island, that she doesn't really trust that new younger guy too much. But they kind of save her for later in the movie for when we bring back the creatures. So in this film, you know, we have our our regular heroes who go out there and they're performing their mission. But then halfway through the mission, they kind of realize, wait a minute, something's not right here. They're doing something wrong and they're not following orders. And you have the typical hunter group and they kind of don't like this young guy, you know, the the Chris Pratt character. (laughs) And they don't get along and then they... They betray him and leave him in the island as the island is exploding and the animals are running and they, they got enough animals and they get out of the island and he's able to escape at the last second, you know, with Bryce Dallas Howard, obviously, you know, you got to have the And and they also have a, two assistants, two younger assistants. They're not necessarily little kids, but they're kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe in their late teens or early 20s. Uh, so they kind of give you a little bit of that, but it's kind of like in the formula, you gotta throw a very younger kid in there because that's, you know, I guess you make that connection, you know, with the younger market and that sort of thing. But anyway, they bring the, they come back, you know, to this, um, To the original mansion you know not some secret island just the mansion where they're they're doing some kind of like illegal international auction like a black market auction of all these dinosaurs and there's this new dinosaur that they they brought in now that is the the super duper uh dna spliced with the uh, traits of all the most dangerous animals and everybody is bidding on this one well of course these things are going to get loose and it's a complete rampage all over the place and everybody's trying to scramble to protect themselves and in the process you know you do have in the background you also have the the doctor from uh, <laughs> played by db wong that uh, kind of pops up and he's from the original films and and he's you know they kind of bring him along as a uh, a continuing kind of bad guy if you will or or slimy kind of guy and you also have jeff uh, goldblum he appears in the beginning and the end of the film as if he's giving testimony to some kind of government hearing and telling people not to mess with these DNA things and the dinosaurs because it could be out of con- It's getting going to get out of control. It's a little hard to kind of tell. And I guess I got to watch it again when it comes on DVD is whether that hearing is taking place after the entire film or before the film or what. Because it is possible that that whole thing is taking place as a result of what just happened. But the film basically ends with you now have these dinosaurs in the wild. Not only in the wild, but they're no longer confined to an island. They're out there somewhere now. And there is another kicker in the film, a twist, that just like this dinosaur was cloned, we find out that this little girl, the granddaughter, was the daughter of another, the daughter of the daughter, that also was kind of part of an experiment, and she is a clone too. So I don't know exactly where they're going with this for future films. I remember when their first film was being put together they had leaked some kind of art having to do with how originally the script had to do with dinosaur human hybrids and they had drawings conceptual drawings of that and that was supposed to be the main thing you know the main it wasn't so much that it was just plain old dinosaurs but some kind of human dinosaur hybrid and i'm wondering now if Maybe they kind of want to head in that direction now that they have two movies under their belt, you know, just to make it different, which I I mean, I don't blame them. You just don't want to keep repeating the same thing over and over again. But with that said, this is the type of movie where I did not walk into being completely critical of how they're going to scientifically keep me entertained and, and make things very plausible. No, I wanted to just see dinosaurs, really. (laughs) running around, people eating people and people chasing the dinosaurs and people running away from that. You know, it's exactly like that writer said on that post. "Is I just want to relax and watch a fun movie. You know, I don't want to have to think about it too much. This is like the opposite of Sicario. Sicario is a super serious film that makes you think and it is not sci-fi kind of intellectually, you know, challenging. It's not like Annihilation. Sicario is more real, like the real stuff, which is very scary, you know, because the real stuff is really more scary than the fantastical stuff. This is just plain popcorn. It is popcorn. That's what you're watching. You're sitting there and you're enjoying these amazing special effects. The characters, they're pretty, you know, they're Comfortable characters to watch. It's it's uh, it's comfort food. It's it's you, you're giving yourself up to this film to like okay just do do your thing and you know uh, you're not bored. It's it's a fast paced film. You know they do their best with the character development, which you you don't care much about And tell you the truth, Chris Pratt is. Again, he's a a perfect character for this sort of film. He's a perfect actor for this kind of thing. You know, he's in Guardians and he's there. You know, he's kind of the same character, more or less. He's this wisecracking, jokey, not always uh, 100% there kind of guy. But I'm going to say that as far as I'm concerned, this was a good sequel. It gave you basically more of the same, if you like, what came first. There are sequels that completely blow you away, that you would consider it to be so much better than the first films. Not that the first films were bad, but just that the sequels are so much better. That is a rare thing. It doesn't happen too often. It's great when it happens. It's a wonderful bonus, if you will, when it happens. But in this case, you're dealing with just more of the same. It's almost like you're watching a television show where this is just another episode of more of the same. And here, the same is good. So I would definitely recommend it. For our last film... So far, because the summer is really not even over yet, and I I just felt like I needed to stop at a certain point and catch up uh, with with letting you know what some of these films are like. We went to see Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, This was a full family film for us. Uh, The whole family went. We didn't bother with 3D this time. It was like, you know what? I don't really care at this point. If I can see it in 3D, great. If not, no big deal. And what's happening in in my local theaters, I don't know if I mentioned it, is that 3D is kind of going downhill. I don't know if it's happening in an entire country, but it's definitely happening here. Where we used to have a movie theater that would screen, let's say one one screen had 3D show and the other screen would have a regular 2D show. Now what they're doing is they're just throwing a 3D screening right in the middle. So for example, they'll have two 2D screenings followed by a 3D, followed by another two 2D screenings. So they're not even giving it its own screen. They're kind of shoehorning it in there because it's diminishing. Now granted... I live in an area as I mentioned before that it's a retirement community uh, the h <laughs> the h demographic is people that really don't uh, care about 3D some of them probably don't even understand 3D so it's not that popular again I don't know if, if it's also declining in the same manner you know nationwide but anyway the point is I, at this point, I didn't really care because it was—it's just Ant-Man, you know. It's not like I'm watching Star Wars or something, you know. If it's Star Wars, I really make a point for it. If I happen—if the only show that happens to be available is a 3D show, yeah, sure, I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll spend the extra couple bucks for the 3D. That's fine, no big deal. But anyway, Ant-Man, as I mentioned a little earlier, is a different flavor of Marvel film. We seem to have the three flavors now: the very serious, the fantastical, otherworldly, and the Lighter kitty, kiddie, kitty ish comedic kind, and in this particular flavor, the the lighter comedic, you know, kitty kind, uh, you have Ant Man, you have Guardians of the Galaxy, you have Thor Ragnarok that kind of dipped into that world a little bit, quite a bit in this last film, but with Ant Man, I, I think it's probably one of the safest ones of all, if as far as being mo- most, the one that's most young kids accessible. Even though Guardians of the Galaxy is in that realm, it can get a little serious, too, even though it's very jokey. But Ant-Man is kind of like, I think, where they purposely want to start you off with as far as young kids are concerned. It's very smart, you know, business-wise. Again, uh, this is a sequel, so we already got through the origin story part of this film, where he uh, uh, hooks up with... Michael Douglas, and uh, uh, he's been in jail for burglary, and uh, and uh, he's trying to turn his life around. He's got a divorce. He's got a daughter. He's trying to be a nice, a good father, and and uh, at the same time, you know, he all of a sudden he's uh, part of this. He's wearing this Ant Man suit uh, that he's uh, helping. Uh, Michael Douglas, you know, uh, with this other bad guy that's a, you know was a partner of Michael Douglas, you know, kind of like a kind of like a like an Iron Man ish kind of background, if you will, you know, the the evil partner that uh, that kind of thing. But anyway, in this film, uh, it's a continuation that we kind of got a little bit of a feel of where it was going the next time because they introduced a secondary character, a daughter of Michael Douglas, played by Evangeline Lilly, who is the Wasp. Again, this is all Marvel history, comic book history. So, you know, for me, it's all new. Everything's new to me. <laughs> Everything is brand new. I don't, I don't uh, know where it comes from. I don't know the history. However, what's really interesting about this film is that, and this is one of the best things about Marvel, is that they're able to kind of interweave all these different films, especially what we're coming off of uh, uh, Infinity War, a very downer of a film, a very, uh, you know, Punched the stomach to everybody. Granted, everybody should know this is not the end. There's no way in hell this is the end. But story-wise, this is very interesting because in this particular story pim Pym is still, which is um, Michael Douglas' character, he's still on the run. You know, the police are after him because, you know, all the experiments he's been performing and blah, blah, blah. And Paul Rudd is under house arrest, you know, Ant-Man. And, uh, he, you know, he, he has to figure out a way of sneaking out to help him because he's trying to see if he can get his wife back. His wife, we learned in the original film, that she was lost. They were chasing like a missile or something and in the process, in order for her to be able to get inside the missile, she had to get so small that she had to enter the quantum realm, and which is something that's going to play, I believe, an important role in the Infinity War sequel. This is an area where I believe it's going to turn into some kind of an untouchable area where Thanos' effects of his, you know, get rid of half the population of everything, he is untouched in that area. So in this particular film, we're dealing with, you know, in the process of trying to rescue his wife, another potential bad guy pops up. uh, I think they call it ghost or the ghost or something like that. And which really, when you think about it... It's kind of a little bit of a throwaway bad guy. There is a history between Pym and another scientist played by Lawrence Fishburne that does have a connection to Ghost. He was kind of helping her get rid of these powers that she apparently got, you know, not because she wanted them, but it was some freak accident that happened. And she is just doing all this to kind of get rid of her powers. But in the process, she's hurting people, you know, that kind of thing. Again, no big deal. Not very strong story-wise, but who cares? does Doesn't matter. By the end of this movie we end up with kind of everybody becoming friends and, you know, some bad guys get dispatched and arrested and put away. And overall this is a a little comedy. A little it's not Deadpool level comedy. It's not very adult comedy. It's a very safe soft kind of comedy, very child friendly. Kids, I think, would love this film. And it kind of prods along the stories having to do with Marvel films, especially with, again, Infinity War. You are, by the end of this film, you are given enough hints, especially with the uh, after credit scenes. To give you an idea of where we're going with Infinity War. Uh, By the end of this film, uh, Ant-Man is still alive, but he's in the quantum realm. And everybody else uh, seems to have disappeared. You know, the main other main characters because of the the, the Thanos thing. So it's a good follow up in in terms of giving us some very light, very light material, especially after a very dark ending to uh, Infinity War. So it's a little bit of a palate cleanser, if you will. Again, you know, it depends on your preference of Marvel films. I mean, I happen to be somebody who enjoys all the three different types of Marvel films that were being thrown at. You know, the official ones. I'm not talking about Deadpool. That's a that's a it's it's I know it's Marvel, but it's different Marvel. But the Kevin Feige level of of Marvel, I'm talking about that kind of Marvel. This fits very well. You know, it's a good continuation to the original Ant-Man I'm going to say just like I said with Deadpool it's kind of more of the same it doesn't really blow you away and it that's something that really hasn't happened too often it only happened once as far as I'm concerned with a official Marvel film where the second one just completely blew you away from what the first one was Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, no the the the, the films kind of decline as far as I'm concerned as far as quality goes you know more of the same more of the same little less of the same that kind of feel Four Thor 1, Thor 2 is, eh, okay, whatever. Thor 3 was a different animal completely, but between 1 and 2, eh, not not much of an improvement. Guardians 1, Guardians 2, eh, more of the same as far as I'm concerned. Captain America, and then Winter Soldier, there you go. The number 2. Blows one away, as far as I'm concerned. There was something different there. That is the kind of movie that I would put alongside, you know, Aliens in terms of how much better it is than the first, Lethal Weapon Two, The Dark Knight. Movies that were in the second film kind of kicked in. It did a complete something different that was very noticeable. The Road Warrior. And again, I know I'm going way back into the uh, into the '80s here for some of these examples, but it's it's there. This film is not. This film is just a little bit more of the same. But still, not bad. It's just a... It's kind of like... You know, it's like watching a TV show you enjoy. You really... You're expecting something and that's what you get. So that's basically what you get with Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's fun. It's kid-friendly. You don't have to worry about inappropriate jokes or that sort of thing. But it's worth its ticket price. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed today's movie wrap-up show. We examined six different films... I'd like to say six very different films, but they're not that different. You know, you have some are different than others. One is at least more serious than the others. Most of them are sequels. The general consensus here is that you're basically getting more of the same. I know that's kind of like a bland, positive review, but I did enjoy all of these films, but it was nothing really that completely blew me away. As I mentioned earlier, there's a couple more coming out before the summer's over. And I'm going to try to see if I can hit some of those other ones. But here, at least, you know, these are entertaining films. They're worthy of your time. They progress certain stories. You know, you get a little bit more out of them, depending on how deeply you want to follow them. But most of these, like, for example, Incredibles 2, Deadpool, and... uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp and Fallen Kingdom, you know, Jurassic World, you know, these are kind of popcorn films, you know, especially with Ant-Man and the Wasp, you know, after your Infinity War downer of an ending, you know, here you have something that's a little more calming, (laughs) easy to digest. Even Deadpool, you know, a great continuation, you know, to the original one. Luckily, they remained in that tone, you know, that funny, funny adult tone. And Jurassic World, yes, more of the same, more of the same. That's exactly what I wanted. You know, you talk about getting your money's worth. I expected that, and that's exactly what they gave me. You know, yeah, you do have to go to some other films if you want to try something different, something new. Out of this whole bunch, Upgrade is probably the, the most original one, all of them, even though it is kind of following some of the steps of some of the other films that probably inspired it. With Incredibles 2, you know, Pixar is just another flavor altogether nowadays for me, so I kind of have to review it and analyze it in a different manner and with the Sicario sequel again, completely different genre altogether, very serious very um, interesting film that I do want more of, I want a a third that I think I'm going to eventually get at some point so, on behalf of everybody here at GeekFest France, thank you for listening and we'll see you soon here at GeekFest France. Bye-bye, everybody.
1: Hello there. Welcome back. I'm glad you could join me today. Let's just dive right in and run all the colors across the screen that you'll need to paint along with me. I have my regular old canvas here, wet and ready to go. Now, let's grab our Trusty two-inch brush here. Whack that off real good. Just beat it like it owes you money. We're gonna get a little dab of our yellow snow here. We're gonna mix that with just another little dab of our Betty White. Now, let's just dance in a happy little sky. And remember, this is your world. You get to make and break the rules here. Sweet baby Jesus. Wish I could jump in there and roll around and all that cascading white powder. Yeah, just get high in all of life's splendor. God, I love cocaine so much. Holy knuckles, I am high as a kite right now. Okay, let's paint in a few little happy trees there. Nothing wrong with making friends with trees. Now what you don't wanna do is eat these paints. Trust me on this one. All right, I'm gonna whack off again. That's right. That feels good. Would you look at that? It seems like we have ourselves a finished painting. So from our family to yours, keep your pants dry, your dreams wet, and remember, hugs, not drugs.
0: If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at GeekFest Rants.
1: I don't know what we're yelling about!
0: GeekFest Rants is produced by Carlos Perón, copyright 2018.